everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Women Project, also known as TIFA Project for short. You can learn more about us at our website at tifaproject.com, which is spelled T-F-A-W as in the Filipino American Woman Project.com. If at all, this conversation sparks something within you where you feel compelled to reaching out to us, we have a phone number. You can text us at 415-484-8329. And before I get ahead of myself, I have to bring on my co-host, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Yeah. And Nani, why don't you tell them like if they want to engage with us, tell them about our newsletter. If you want to engage with us, then sign up for our newsletter because that's where we house basically all of the resources and messages and updates and news that we have weekly. So that's the way that we're choosing to be in community with you guys now. So subscribe to our newsletter if you have not already. Yeah. And we share like a lot of good stuff on there. Nani's always really good at opening up with like a love letter, you know, an opening message. Lately, it's been a lot about self-care, I think. Yeah. Um, and just kind of being mindful of your mental health and reminding all of us to be in community with each other, especially, you know, at this time of the year when a lot of people are struggling with seasonal depression, including myself. <laughs> so, you know, so it's just really important to stress that and to remember that we're all human and that, you know, we need each other and it's okay to need each other. We love engaging with all of you, especially via text message or email. And so, Nani, we've been engaging with someone uh, lately. Shout out to Katrina. Tell us a little bit about kind of our interaction with her so far via text. She was the one who emailed and she had said something about ethnocentrism. And we Oh, oh, oh. Uh, that's an Instagram message. Instagram message. So okay. wait, let, me, let me get her IG handle while you read Okay, that. there you go. So originally she had DM'd us and we mentioned her in our last episode and our little like funny joke about how she had me and Jen looking up the definition of ethnocentrism because neither of us had heard of that word before. She texted us again. Should I read it? Yeah. If you, okay. Katrina, I'm sure you won't mind. <laughs> I'll just read the first one. I'm not going to read the rest of our conversation, but she just said, wow, I just heard my shout out and felt so cool. Perfect description of ethnocentrism laughing emoji. I just subscribed to your email and I love emailing almost as much as I love elevator music. LOL. Your listener sister, Katrina. Yeah. So we have a new sister in our community here at Tifa Project. So if you want to learn more about Katrina and how she's currently an art therapy student, you know, check her out on Instagram. Katrina still draws. So Katrina, thank you for engaging with us. And, you know, again, we want to highly encourage our listeners to message us, email us, or get in touch with us. Let us know how you're enjoying the show, what resonates with you. And also let us know if you want to be on the show. Like I think Katrina did mention that she wants to be on the show eventually. So Katrina, we're coming after you for 2021. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we have like a long list now, Nani, right? Of people that we're going to be reaching out to. And so if you want to be part of that list, you know, make sure to reach out to us sooner than later. So you're not waiting till the summertime ready to get on our show. All right. Well, anyway, that's all the updates we have for today. Let's go ahead and transition. Nani and I are extremely excited because for the first time in Tifa Project history, we have interns. <laughs> thanks to, <laughs> yeah, thanks to Stacy Salinas <laughs> at the Bolosan Center. We actually have two of them with us today. So I'm going to go ahead and bring on Taylor and Elise. So Taylor and Elise, welcome. Woo! Yes. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. Well, let's go ahead and start off real briefly. So I'll start with you, Taylor. Feel free to, you know, introduce like your first and last name, if you like, and let us know, how did you first get involved with the Belosan Center? And also what compelled you to join us here to intern with the TIFA Project? Okay. Hi, I'm Taylor Maria Makoro. When it comes to the Busan Center, I just transferred colleges and I joined the Filipino American Student Association there. And our advisor mentioned the internship through the Busan Center. And it seemed like something I was super interested in. So I decided to like sign up and I didn't really think anything much of it. I just filled out the application, not thinking I'd get a position with the internship. And then next thing I knew, I got an email confirming I got the internship. I was like, oh, dang, okay, that's pretty cool. And then <laughs> as for the TIFA project, I've been listening for a while. I remember discovering the TIFA project, I think last summer, because I was looking for a podcast to listen to, like, because I was like, oh, I want to listen to something related to like Filipinos. And I was like, oh, and I found you guys. So. <laughs> Awesome. Love it. And we're happy to have you here. And you've just been a bundle of joy so far working together. And so let's go ahead and bring on Elise. Elise, let us know your first and last name and, you know, your experience at the Bolosan Center and what compelled you to join us here at the TIFA Project. Hi, my name's Elise. I had an identity crisis when I took my first Asian American studies class. Mm. So After that, I ended up joining the Bulosan Center because I wanted to get more in touch with my Filipino side. And I joined the history team with Stacey Salinas, and I loved that. And that's how I learned about the TFUP project. And with that, I was able to get in touch with more of my Filipino side by listening to more of the podcasts and learning more about Filipino history and the women that are in it. Yeah, I like how you hinted that you had an identity crisis at one point. And so tell me, since then, you know, from that moment where you felt like you were going through a crisis to sort of where you're at today, do you feel more in touch with your identity or do you feel like you have a better understanding of who you are? I definitely feel like I have a better understanding of who I am, especially because I joined the history team. I was able to learn more about Filipino history and how it became what it is today. Yeah, powerful. Nani, any thoughts yeah. on both Elise and Taylor introducing themselves? Yeah, just what an opportunity that you guys have to, you know, be in a program like this that has these kinds of opportunities that are inside the community, you know, while you're learning about the community. I also had a similar identity crisis as you, Elise. So I totally understand how that feels and the process that you go through trying to just like find yourself, you know. Um, and again, what an opportunity that you guys have to work with Stacy and the Bulosan Center and again, find cool opportunities to work on projects like this. <laughs> <laughs> we're saying it's cool. Like we're saying our project's cool. We don't know for sure if it's cool, but we're like speaking it into existence. So <laughs> no, it's awesome. definitely cool. Well, thank you both for introducing yourselves. And, you know, when I think about my experience in college, I had joined a Filipino organization, I think my sophomore year in college. And to be quite honest, I was reluctant about joining. And the only reason why I had joined was because one of my best friends, our freshman year, He had joined earlier than me and he was like, hey, I'm going to be a part of this Filipino culture night. Come and support. And at the time, I was a self-loathing Filipino-American woman. So I was all like, "Okay, I'm going to go, but only because of you. And so I watched my first Filipino culture night and I loved it so much. I went a second day in a row. 
And I made a promise to myself that I was going to be an FCN coordinator one day. And then I think it was like two or three years later, not only was I part of this organization, but I became the Filipino Culture Night coordinator. And I ended up managing a cast of like over 100 people and like raising over like $15,000 or something like that. I don't remember the number. It's arbitrary. But it was just so crazy that that one thing in college, like that one event that I didn't want to go to and I only went to because of my best friend inspired me to get heavily involved. And so it's just really cool that a lot of Filipinos who start to explore their identity sometimes happens in college very often. Not all the time, obviously, especially if you don't go to college or, you know, what have you. But I have found that a lot of people started to find their identity more in college. But the last thing I want to add is, I think there was like only like one class that I took. It was like Filipino American history. And honestly, it was really difficult for me to grasp like the knowledge there because it was kind of just like reading what was on the paper, reading what was in the books. And it was like facts and figures and it just didn't resonate with me. And so I felt more in touch with my Filipino-ness you know, in my student organization than I did taking those classes, which is unfortunate because that class actually needed funding to, you know, to keep going. And I think there's some semesters where unfortunately they had to cancel it because there was a low turnout of, you know, students who were interested in it or they just didn't have the budget. So it's really interesting. But, you know, to hear that you guys have an amazing organization like the Bulosan Center, where it sounds very established and you have people really, you know, people like Stacy and all the other historians there, you know, really preserving it, I think is very astounding. And it's something that I think all the other colleges <laughs> can really model after. So anyway, those are my general thoughts on that. I just want to see if anyone had anything they wanted to add to what I said. I had a similar story on how I started with my previous organization at my old college. I actually went to a Filipino culture night because my friends that I've made in high school were visiting from their college mm -hmm. to perform in the Filipino culture night at Central where I used to go. And since like after that, I was like, oh, this actually seems like kind of fun. I kind of want to make friends with some of the people here because I was surrounded by a lot of people within the music department and the music department isn't very diverse. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I feel like there's something missing and I really want to be a part of that. So, and that's how I got involved in FASA, the Filipino American Association and what made me join when I uh, transferred colleges too. Love it. Very cool. Okay. So Taylor and Elise, you know, really our show continues to expand the definition of what it means to be a Filipino American woman. And so rather than kind of list out the definition, I really want to have you to share your individual story. You know, why do you identify as a Filipino American woman and also maybe your family history to explain part of that. So let's see, Taylor's the last person to talk. So Elise, would you like to start off and share with us like why you identify as a Filipino American woman? Yeah, of course. So I think coming to terms that I am Filipino American, it took a lot because both of my parents came here when they were younger and they did not teach me the language because they both had previous marriages with previous kids. Mm. One of my sisters is half Filipino, half black, and my other sister is half Filipino and half Vietnamese. Mm. So to teach me who I'm full Filipino, to teach me the language, it wasn't really... It wasn't in their mind because my other sisters did not know the language. Mm -hmm. So I also wasn't around the culture because I wasn't really close to my full Filipino side on my dad's side. So I think it was hard getting to know other Filipinos. I actually strayed away from Filipino people when I was in college. And I think that was because I felt like I couldn't fit in mm -hmm. because I felt more American. So 
once I started dating a Filipino person, that's when I started having my self-identity crisis. Um, oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so um, that's when I started wanting to get into touch with my Filipino side. So I started joining the Bulosan Center. I started joining more organizations that had to do with Philam just so I can learn more about myself. And I ended up minoring in Asian American studies because of how much I wanted to learn about it. Wow. Well, I I mean, that's great to have a a bay, a Filipino bay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. I think we all like come into our Filipino-ness at like different stages of our life. And sometimes it takes a person, you know, it takes a person, it takes a situation, it takes the birth of a new child. It always takes something for you to be like, you know what, I think I'm ready to, you know, learn more about this side. And I'm just happy to have you here today to talk about us and celebrate your (laughs) Filipino-ness. Thank you. Yeah. um, Nani, I saw you agreeing a little, so I thought you might want to add something. I just love your story and the way that you were inspired and how you kind of like dove head first into it once you dipped your toe in the water. And I feel like it just resonates with me. Like, I feel like if I would have gone through what I went through at your age in your environment, then I probably would have gone about it the same way. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And Taylor, just want to see if there's anything you wanted to add. I don't. I think like I, I kind of have a similar story with like the way I started. So I told I, right. I really resonated with you, Elise. Well, let's get into your storyteller. Tell us why you identify as a Filipino American woman. Like Elise, my dad came to America when he was about five years old, and my mom was actually born here in America. She was born on Oahu, mm. and she moved to Washington State when she was like I think seven years old. So. My parents really grew up here in America. My dad kind of resented kind of the Filipino Mm. culture because his parents had very thick Filipino accents. Like, I remember hearing a story about someone like my grandpa had his backpack. He was going to work or something. And Mm. there was just someone who was making fun of him. And like they called him China man. And they're like, oh, you're going to school, China man. So my dad resented being an immigrant ever since she was younger because of situations like that that he experienced mm-hmm. so growing up for me and with my mom being born here in America she wasn't really in touch with her Filipino side and even to this day I don't really think she's in touch with her Filipino side because mm-hmm. growing up like the only way I was involved with Filipino culture would be through music and like listening to music through my dad And so growing up in elementary school, there were so many instances where I wanted to learn Tagalog or I wanted to learn more about my culture, but both of my parents only had like a very superficial understanding of Filipino culture. They both only went to college for a little bit, didn't finish college. So they weren't really involved in any organizations or like learned about the culture through an academic standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up with a lot of wanting to learn more about Filipino culture, but I was always met with like, oh, Taylor, you're such a boater. Why are you listening to Filipino music? Like, I don't understand why, like from my uncle, he would, even though he's joking, I know he's joking, but it's still like part of me. I just, I felt embarrassed Mm -hmm. to really be involved with Filipino culture until I got to college. And I wanted to join the Filipino American Student Association my first year, but I didn't because of time commitments. 
I was in band during the time they had meetings. Mm-hmm. And then I went on the fall or, and then I went to Filipino culture night and I was like, this is it. No matter what's happening, I'm going to join FASA. And then the following year I was able to join and I met with one of my cousins on my mom's side who went to my, the same college as me. And we kind of connected there. And ever since then I became culture chair, my previous college for FASA. And then I dropped out my second year, but I was still involved as much as I could be. Mm-hmm. And then I transferred colleges I'm here where I'm at today, where I, I'm just, I'm really involved in Filipino culture. And luckily, I also have a Filipino boyfriend. But the only Who we met, is, I think, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, yes. the one that was usually in the back. <laughs> yes, he's still in the back. He's on the floor. He's oh. chilling on his phone. <laughs> my friends are dead too. <laughs> you guys. That's all I love it. I love it. Oh yeah, my boyfriends are on the floor like my dogs, like my (laughs) (laughs) I love them. I love that. (laughs) Hey boyfriends. Yeah. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I love it. Sorry to wake you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the only difference is that like I think for me, I'm, I'm teaching my boyfriend more about Filipino culture and like his mom's really appreciative of that because yeah, like I guess and, and it also comes with the area we grew up in. Like I went to a private school growing up, so it was a lot of I was actually put in an ELL class at my elementary school because I had a very heavy Ilocano accent. Because my grandparents raised me for a good chunk of my life. Mm -hmm. And my grandpa taught me very broken English. I love him very much. But Mm -hmm. he would always say to turn on the TV, he would say close the TV. So he also taught me opposites. Right, right. (laughs) Growing up just to mess with me. And so (laughs) because of that, I had to be put in an English language learning class. (laughs) Oh, my God. Love you, Grandpa. But thanks. (laughs) Thanks for setting me up for success here. Um, I, I'm curious to know, Taylor, you know, you mentioned your backstory about your parents not really embracing their Filipino side. And if, in fact, your dad rejecting it because mm-hmm. of what he had gone through. Like, when did you kind of know for yourself that you wanted to learn your filipino Like you wanted to embrace that side and, and even take it as a form of responsibility, you know, teach someone like your boyfriend about being Filipino? I think I was in elementary school because my parents got divorced when I was three years old. So mm-hmm. There was always a disconnect with me growing up, and I always felt like there was something missing. Mm-hmm. And I think I went to an elementary school where it was a majority Filipinos. And mm-hmm. so I think one day in elementary school during gym class, they were talking about nickling and they, we, they had the sticks out for nickling and they're showing us how to do it. Because my old elementary school had Filipino culture nights where they had all the elementary school kids who were were interested and or Filipino learn all the dances. Mm-hmm. And... I wanted to be a part of that so bad, but because of my dad's schedule and my mom was like, was absent for the first part of my life. Mm-hmm. I wanted, I yearned to be a part of that. Cause I really wanted to like, number one, I wanted to be with my friends, of course, cause all my friends are Filipino in elementary school, but I also wanted to be a part of something that I could identify with that I knew that was a part of me. But obviously because of my dad's schedule, he was always working. He worked, he drove the bus for King County Metro. So obviously really busy schedule. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I couldn't do it. And I was really sad, but I I just knew that I would be able to connect with that eventually. But I knew from a very young age that it would be a really long time before I could truly connect and find that connection. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Nani, thoughts? 
Yeah, I think that that just reinforces what I always say on the show about how important it is to be able to connect with your culture or learn how to connect with your culture outside of your own family. And I love that you guys are both able to find that like in your romantic relationships at such a young age. Like that's so dope. I've never had an experience like that. I've been surrounded by, you know, I've grown up around people, not a lot of Filipinos outside of my own family. And so, yeah, I just feel like that's something so rare and so special. And I love that they're there with you guys right now and that you guys feel (laughs) so like comfortable and open talking about this in front of them. It means that you guys really share something on like a foundational level. So respect. (laughs) Yeah, that actually reminds me. (laughs) Part of also, I mean, not that this drew me into actually, no, I'm wrong. Okay, I remembered something back in college. So the play, the Filipino Culture Night that my best friend invited me to, there was a guy on stage that was performing that I thought was very handsome, (laughs) later became my boyfriend. So I I never told you that story, Nani. So this guy, so this is sort of how I got into the Philippine organization. I'm not with him right now and he will never listen to this. So I'm okay with it. I could could air out my dirty laundry. Or so uh, you think. No, but he was a great, you know, I just, I just want to put for the record that he was a great guy. I was with him for a very long time, like six, seven years. I essentially sort of believed that we were going to get married and build a life together, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then things changed and yada, yada, yada. But anyway... I remember, I think it was like my sophomore year, I started to attend the Filipino org meetings and they had something called a cultural coordinator. And this person would do cultural presentations at every meeting. So essentially, you know, they would pull up like something in history or maybe refer to a book or maybe refer to whatever. But ultimately, you know, it's kind of an extra like Filipino history or Filipino lesson that he would teach at these meetings. And they usually go for like 10, 15 minutes or something, but it was always like very educational. And I was really drawn to that. So I remember I, I used to actually have him be my mentor because he was like a couple years older than me. <laughs> Two years. And it's not that much older. But then again, my husband is a lot older than me. So that's a conversation for another time. But anyway, at the time when you're in college, two years is a big difference, right? You're like, whoa, like that person's older. He's like two grades above me. It's crazy. But anyway, so I remember I would go to him like for mentorship. And then eventually like I became the cultural coordinator before I became the Filipino culture night coordinator. And it was all thanks to him and helping me. And, <laughs> and I remember for like a high school conference, have you two ever been to a high school conference? Elise Taylor? I haven't been to a high school conference, but I definitely gone to like different organizations with like different colleges. Right, right. Yeah. So to our listeners who are hearing about high school conferences for the first time, it's basically when, you know, the college students uh, encourage high schoolers to visit a certain college, you know, and they talk about it and really, really uh, do it from like, let's say a Filipino American like perspective, like through the organization and saying like, oh, here's what you can expect. Like this is what's on campus and stuff like that. But anyway, I just remember that was like November can't believe I remember this. It was like November, 2008. Like, how do I know this year? That was a time when I told him that I liked him. And then we pretty much were together for seven years, broke up with him in 2015. Crazy. But uh, he was my college sweetheart and he played a big influence in me learning about Filipino culture. I can't believe I blocked that out of my memory. Like, could you believe like, I just, I just remembered that thanks to you two and your boyfriends being in your bedrooms. So thank you. (laughs) 
<laughs> so bringing back you, but, memories. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for that. But no, overall, great guy. In case any of his friends hear this, we just were a good fit in the end. I'm like adding a disclaimer here, just trying to protect myself. No, it's but it was, it was great. It was great. Hopefully yeah, we he's over it by now. Yeah, no, he's fine. He's like married <laughs> and stuff. So he doesn't probably think about me anymore. All right. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so thank you both for just sharing a little bit about your background as I air out my dirty laundry and telling us a little bit more about like why you identify as Filipino American women. We love asking this question because I feel like everyone answers it differently, right, Nani? Like every single time it's different. I think you both are the first that really uh, talk about the influence of your boyfriends as well or, or being inspired because you have like a Filipino boyfriend. So I think that's kind of the first time. Um, and coincidentally for both of you, <laughs> you know, for it to be about boyfriends. Not that they're everything, okay? Let's like, you know, we are independent women. We don't need them. <laughs> Men are accessories, not necessities, right? <laughs> you can say it just like snapping. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Okay, so for you two, obviously you're college students and going back to my college days, I just remembered how busy I was. And so Taylor, let's start with you. Give us a quick snapshot of your life for people that are learning about you for the first time. Yeah, I'm a music education student, so it's a lot of music going on alongside, you know, your general classes. So, like, for example, this quarter, I took a leadership class just for, like, the credit. So it goes towards my general requirements. And then I took an intro to hip hop class, which is like hip hop history, which talked about, like, we talked about the beginnings of where hip hop started in, like, the 60s and 70s to where it is now. And I took... Let's see, I took trumpet method. So I learned how to play trumpet this quarter. And I come to the conclusion that I hate brass. Okay, I don't hate <laughs> brass. I hate high brass. <laughs> like I'm like so we know bad. the difference. Like, yeah, so I don't even know what that <laughs> so is. So high brass would be like trumpets and like French horns and like anything like a that you hear in a band that's like in the upper range for like brass. Um, which is like any ent- instruments that are like, you know, the the gold color because mm. there's okay. the brass and okay. woodwinds. Yeah, I can imagine that. <laughs> My ignorance here. <laughs> and then or like next quarter, I'm taking two methods classes. So I'm learning how to play tuba and flute next quarter. And then wow. it's not until third quarter where I start doing music theory again, which music theory is one of the banes of my existence. I mean, it's what you need to be a music teacher, but it's also like, or just to be a musician in general, but it's also just learning all the rules. And then when you get to a certain section of music theory for, you just unlearn those rules because it's just, and it's a lot. Because it also, the rules depend on which era of music there is. Mm -hmm. And it's just constantly changing. And then you also get into the idea Because one thing that's really frustrating for me and that something that I advocate for in my everyday life is the idea of decolonizing the music world because we're constantly listening to Western music. So like when it comes Mm. to classical music, it's always stuff like Beethoven and just like anything that's Western. But then no one thinks of like other cultures music. Like the Philippines has a really rich culture in music. Like we have the Spanish influence and then we also have like the Middle Eastern-esque influence that has a lot of the percussive instruments. Mm-hmm. And then like you have the pygmy flutes, which is one of my favorite instruments because it's really cool because it's a flute that just plays one note and you get the other notes by mimicking the sound of the flute with your th- voice. It's just stuff like that. That's like there's a lot of rich culture within music from 
other places, but it's just not something you commonly learn about mm-hmm. on an everyday basis. So it's like the idea of decolonizing music is just really important to me on an everyday basis. Yeah, I find that such a unique niche, you know, like, obviously, a lot of us are in this space now where we're trying to decolonize a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so to hear that you're doing it in music is astounding. Yeah, and especially in the field I'm going into, I really want to go into high school band. I want to be a high school band director because my high school band director really inspired me to go into this field. But like looking at the surrounding areas of where I live, there's not a lot of Number one, there's not a lot of female high school band directors, let alone female people of color. So I think that's another driving factor for me is like, I want to be one of the like founding people within this field who looks like me. Mm -hmm. And I find it really inspiring because I know growing up, I didn't see any music teachers that look like me. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to show that, like, you can pursue a career in music, despite of what your family tells you. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Nani, just thought I'd check in with you. Yeah, I love that you're so passionate about that. And it seems like your early family influence had, like, a lot to do with that. And hopefully, you know, still fuels your, like, motivation today to kind of break into that decolonizing space within the music industry, which is so important. And I think... A lot of that comes with the representation, like the space that you're trying to take up and having that influence over that world. So, yeah, I I love that you're kind of dedicating yourself to that and throwing your full effort into that. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And Elise, I thought I want to check in with you too, see if there's anything you want to add to anything that Taylor shared. I think it's pretty cool that you want to be a music director because I used to do music when I was younger also, but when I first started, it was at a Baptist church. I started learning how to sing, learning how to play piano, and I was also in a choir at my Baptist church, and what was really nice was that they taught the people in the church for free, and they would have one-on-one lessons, and the thing was, like, it was people of minority who were teaching me. So that was very like inspiring to see. So I definitely love how you want to be a music director. Yeah, Yeah, you guys should both be familiar with Leslie Legacion and I forget who the other one is, but Leslie is a pianist in her church, the church that she grew up in. And she talks a lot in that episode about how, and I say you guys should both know because for everyone else out there, Taylor and Elise are helping us set up our CRM system as part of their internship with us. So that's why I say they should be familiar with her. But yeah, in that episode, she talks a lot about growing up in that world of music within the church and how sacred of a place that's been to her. Obviously, she's still there today. And she has that same kind of like undying fuel that I feel from Taylor. So I feel like you guys could probably resonate with that. Yeah, and I think um, I think who you're also talking about Nani is Missy Alcazar. Uh, yes, because she, and Missy. Yeah, she, her mom was just like drilled it in her <laughs> to be a pianist, and then you know here she is. Fast forward to today, you know, being a professional pianist and being a dual pianist at Disneyland. I mean, we don't know where Disneyland is right now. We don't know what's going on there, <laughs> but she could still say. <laughs> Yeah, You know, that she is one of the first Filipino-American women who is a dueling pianist at Disneyland, which is pretty incredible. And so it just comes to show that you can make a career out of music 
And, and I also just like the idea that like, you know, you can try to be the change that you want to see in the music industry, because I, you know, for, for my own ignorance, I only know so much about creating music and, you know, I wouldn't be able, like, unless I was really into it, I wouldn't have known that a lot of the music you learn is very much about the Western culture and, and all of that stuff. And so to, to get your perspective on that, I think is pretty astounding. So, so thanks Taylor for giving us a snapshot of your life today. For sure. All right. Thank you. Yeah. And Elise, your turn. We didn't forget about you. So <laughs> so let us know. What are you up to nowadays? So right now I'm pursuing a degree in animal science with a specialization in companion and captive animals, as well as my Asian American studies minor. So there's that. I am a pre-vet. So I am on the, or I want to be a veterinarian in the long run. Wow. I love um, that. Thank you. Yeah. So I really want to work with animals. I've wanted to work with animals since I was younger. I was probably like in second grade when there was like an assignment where like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wrote in a veterinarian and I feel like I do a lot of things that pertain to it. I'm currently working at the UC Davis Veterinary Medical Teaching Hospital. I work in the client services section and I'm also a veterinary assistant at clinic in Woodland. And I also am a part of two student-run clinics, Mercer Clinic for the Homeless and Knights Landing One Health Center that caters towards the underserved population there. Wow, wow. that's beautiful. I wanted to be a vet when I was little too. So I share that. that you can um, still do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that would be like in my last life or my next life, a dream. I would love to work with animals as well. But I kind of want to be like in the wild with them, you know? <laughs> not yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought about doing exotics, like just going to Thailand and working with the elephants because like, yes. <laughs> and I feel like it'd be really cool to work with animals that large. Mm -hmm. I think ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to do like heart surgery on a lion. That was like my ultimate goal in oh, life. Oh God. See, I could skip the surgery. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, in the, in the long run, at least what, what animals specifically do you, I mean, I know you already mentioned a couple, but like, yeah, in the long run, like what, what are some animals that you specifically want to work with? So I'm not entirely sure because I have worked with animals like cows and horses and pigs and goats. And, but at Davis, it's mostly like farm animals that mm -hmm. are like primates here. And there are like, there's an avian center and there's also like other animals, but I haven't really gotten into it because I haven't really been in vet school yet. I'm just learning about the animals and I'm kind of like dipping my toes to see like what I like the most, but I really do like my job at the clinic in Woodland where I work with small animals like dogs and cats. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. For me, I was just thinking about like in the long run, what my husband and I want to do is have a farm where we would foster like rescue dogs and mainly dogs, not cats, cats. I'm allergic to, but dogs and ideally like the senior dogs who get neglected the most, you know, and, and everything, but that's the extent of my animal involvement, <laughs> not doing heart surgery on a lion. I <laughs> never had those dreams. So I, I this says a lot about you <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> Awesome. Well, you two are very incredible individuals. Nani, I wanted to see if you had anything you wanted to add. No, I just want to take a moment to like honor both of your like individuality. You know, mm -hmm. you're just so you're both so unique and so like diverse. 
I love the range of like interests and the fuel of passion. And it's just the energy that you guys bring is needed around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's just, it's nice to know that we are really, we're, you can find so many of us in so many different spaces, you know, it's not your, at least in my impression growing up, like, Oh, grow up to be a nurse. You know, it's like you two alone are really pushing the boundaries or really like stretching. I would imagine our listeners perspectives or assumptions of what it means to be a Filipino American woman. And so that's why I always love covering this topic. If this a snapshot of your life, because I think we come to find that we're all so different. Like, I don't think we've had anyone yet. That's like had a repeat yet (laughs) that like I could think of. All right. Well, before I go on to the next question here, really second or almost last question, I wanted to see if there's anything else that either Taylor or Elise, you wanted to add to our conversation so far. I just want to say to Elise that like, I think as someone who has two dogs and seeing someone who's so passionate about like working with animals, I think that's so, it makes me so happy knowing that someone wants to take care of animals and wants to like preserve that. And uh, I think it's really cool. And like, it's super inspiring. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like awkward pause. No, no, it's cool. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, thanks, ladies. Well, let's go ahead and get to really my favorite part of the conversation. And it's really talking about a life lesson. We can do this in one or two ways. You can share like a mantra or like a quote that you live by, or you can do it pandemic style and share like what is like the number one lesson you've learned in this experience so far of 2020. So take a minute to think about that and let me know who wants to go first. All right. So Elise, do you have something in mind? I think for me, it's never stop looking for opportunities. I think mm-hmm. I was definitely in a rut when I was like through my freshman through junior year, because I always thought that, oh, everyone here is animal science. How am I going to find opportunities? Everyone's already mm-hmm. working in clinics. They're doing internships. And I decided to take a really big hit to my pride. And I applied to every clinic within 30 miles of Davis. And that was probably about 50. I got rejected to all of them except for one. Wow. Yes. I love that determination. Yeah. I realized that I felt like I needed to do more in terms of experience. And I wanted to learn more about the people who lived here because if I was going to go to Davis for another four years because they have one of the greatest vet schools. I wanted to learn more about the community as well as the animals around here. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of farms in Davis. Like there's a lot of goats, a lot of cows, like wherever you go, you're always like driving around, you see some type of animal. And yeah. I felt like that there had to be a place for me. Mm-hmm. And I found it at the clinic in Woodland. And I really loved the opportunity that they gave me. So never stop looking for opportunities. And I felt like once I got that opportunity, I was able to find more. In addition to working at the VMTH, I was able to work at a plant nursery. So that was a little, in addition to my animal science passion, I also wanted make sure I'm working on myself with my other passions. So not just one thing, I wanted to spread it in order to like make myself more well-rounded and make sure I hit all the points that make me happy. Tell me a little bit about, you mentioned something like, I had to put my pride aside to apply everywhere. Did you say that because there was maybe like a particular specific place you wanted to work at? 
I wouldn't say like a particular place. It's just that I knew that I was going to get a lot of rejections Mm. because Mm. the high, there's like all the students want to work at a nearby clinic or they want to work at a nearby farm or lab. So I went on Handshake and every single job seeking site and I applied to everything. I have this whole spreadsheet of all the places I applied to. If I called them, emailed them, if I heard back from them. Nice. And if I got the approval from them, but it only took that one. Wow. I like that. I mean, that means you're in the perfect internship role with us because you do spreadsheets. (laughs) Yeah. And you're so well organized and you, I feel like you organize your moves before you make them. And that's so important. I think that that is a sign of like real maturity and real, like that's a, a huge life skill that you can apply to anything in life and that will get you very, very far. So the fact that you just do that so intrinsically, I know that you're going to be successful in whatever you decide to do, but it sounds like you're already, uh, you know, going head first at it. So I just love to see it. <laughs> yeah, I just love your lesson. And this is so Taylor is caught up with us, but I do like your lesson of never stop looking for opportunities. And when you think about 2020, I think a lot of us felt like our maybe perceived opportunities at the time were taken away from us. And therefore, we felt like maybe we couldn't do certain things or maybe 2020 is just going to be a bust. But I just love hearing that, you know, you kept going anyway, and you decided to prospect all of these (laughs) locations and, and reach out. And it just comes to show that, you know, sometimes success is a numbers game. Sometimes it's just about going through all those contacts, reaching out to all those people, doing a follow up, and you just never know what you'll find out of that. And so congrats to you, Elise, for your success so far. And it sounds like you're really having a lot of fun with what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. Well, now we got Taylor here. So Taylor, tell us a life lesson maybe that you live by or maybe a lesson you've learned during the pandemic. Um, Something that I guess I just happened to learn it during the pandemic, but it's something that I guess I was an ongoing process for me since I started college is to just take your time. I went through high school kind of constantly going. I was involved in so many things. I was a cheerleader. I was president of my high school band. And like, I was just constantly involving myself in different things. And I kind of, when I got to college, I failed my first quarter of college, actually. Mm -hmm. And so like, I was just constantly met with one thing after the other. Did well my winter quarter my first year. And then after that, I lost someone who I saw every day. I I didn't really, I considered them a friend, but I wasn't really close with them, but I did see them every day because he was roommates with my ex. Mm -hmm. And I, and it just ever since then, I kind of, I remember that following summer, just having, I couldn't sleep until five in the morning and, and, or until the sun came out. I remember I would, I would only fall asleep once the sun came out, because if I tried to fall asleep when it was dark, I would have nightmares. And I, because of that, I learned to just take everything slow because there's no rush to finish anything. I'm in my fourth year of college and I'm going to be at my, what's projected right now, I'm going to be at my new college for another four years. And it's, I, and it's just a constant pressure from like society that you're, you need to finish your undergrad in four years. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you really don't. I'm in my fourth year and I'm like only halfway done. And I come to terms where it's like, it's okay to do that. Like I live with my uncle. I don't live with my parents Mm -hmm. and like him and I have 
are constantly having this conversation. And he's like, I'm just proud that you're going to college. I'm proud that you're taking the steps to get what you need to get done at your own pace. Mm-hmm. And like, I've even talked to one of the advisors within my department as a music major and Dr. Bourne. She's absolutely amazing. I love her. And I've explained to her that I'd rather take my time and learn the material so I can be an effective teacher and be the best teacher that I can be. Mm-hmm. And she really admires that because a lot of people just want to get their undergrad done so they can get to teaching. And I just I think you could only be the most effective teacher that you can be if you take your time and learn the content. Because when you take your time, you kind of grow a bigger passion for it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's really important, especially when going into like a career involving kids. Like you want to be able to share your love for what you're doing with them. Because I know for me, there was a lot of teachers that didn't I could I can tell like they just they were there and I didn't feel like they they were as passionate about what they did as other teachers were. Mm -hmm. And so like being where I'm at now, I'm just I'm learning to take everything one day at a time and to like really enjoy it because I know throughout high school I was feeling burnt out and I honestly didn't think I'd make it past the age of 18 or I was diagnosed with depression back when I was in middle school. So like for me seeing where I'm at now and seeing where I was back in high school my life has changed so much and like learning everything that I've learned and learning that it's okay to be where you're at and it's okay to struggle and it's okay to be able to feel everything because when you take the time to kind of just slow down and kind of let everything in you take a moment to really process if you're feeling sad you take the moment to process your sadness and I think that's a really important thing to do is process every single feeling that's coming towards you because when you bottle it up you can only do that for so long Mm. until like everything kind of just it gets kind of overwhelming yeah wow I have so many thoughts but I thought I'd check in with Donnie first Yeah. I mean, you're so young, but you're so wise. And clearly, you know, you've been through a lot and you've had a long journey. And I don't think when anyone, you know, at first glance would would guess any of that about you. And it really, um, I think, highlights like the internal struggle that you feel like your family went through with, you know, your parents not being really embracing of their culture and your grandpa teaching you broken English. And, you know, it just seems like all of those things, you are hyper aware of all of those things from such a young age and that you've always dealt with it. You know, I don't know what kind of like help you've gotten or what kind of support you've had to lean on, but I just find such inspiration in your story I, you know, my first semester of college failed my first class. And instead of continuing on, I was like, oh, screw this. And and I just dropped out, you know. So I really, really appreciate you, your like will and your drive to like push through those obstacles and keep going when you fall down. It is. And to know that you've been struggling with that from such a young age, it's like, again, very inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I uh, thought I'd ask Elise too, if there's anything you wanted to add. I agree on taking your time. I also believe that you shouldn't always think that you have to finish college in four years. Cause I'm also taking a fifth year. I realized that in order for me to do well in class and actually learn the material, I need to spread everything out, which kind of sucks because I do see other STEM majors finish early or finish right on time so they can apply to med school or apply to vet school. But I realize, and I listen to myself, I realize that I have to take my time in order to learn everything. 
And that's really, it's a really important thing to do because it's like a lot of people kind of quit after that once they re- if they don't feel like it's working out with them for them in the time frame that they want they kind of just quit but honestly it does for some people it does take a longer time and it's okay to take a longer time yeah for sure well thank you both I wrote some notes as you were talking Taylor and fun fact my freshman year in college I went to San Diego State I decided to take the full 18 units for both semesters thinking that I was going to be this ambitious college student because I did all these extracurriculars in high school. And then in college, I was like, okay, I'm going to take it seriously now. Well, guess what? (laughs) End of freshman year, I almost made academic probation. I had a 2.01 GPA. I was like so close (laughs) to getting on academic probation. And I had to work really hard just to get back up to 3.0 to get into my major because it it was impacted. And so you had to like hit certain requirements to get into it. And I was like, okay, I have to at least get a 3.0. So I just remember like having to take like extra easy classes to kind of boost up my GPA and stuff like that. And also I graduated as a super senior. It took me five years to graduate. And actually I'm so glad it took me that long because my fifth year I was picked to be on homecoming court to represent my Filipino organization. I didn't win, but (laughs) that wouldn't have happened, you know, if I didn't stay an extra year. And actually a lot of my internships, I ended up getting my super senior year. And so, and so I appreciate both of you really sharing that. Cause I think there's something about college where you feel like you have to like, just like dive in and go as fast as you can. Right. And you get burnt out. And so I love that you both are saying that and encouraging, you know, college students and reminding them, like, you're a human, there's no pressure, just because it says four-year university doesn't mean you need to finish in four years, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. actually, the person we're going to be interviewing next in our next episode, it took her a long time to get her degree, it took her, I think, more than five years, I don't remember the exact year, but, you know, I've known people where it took them a decade just to get their bachelor's degree. And so there's really no rush. And the world will wait. You know, I think the world will wait for you. And so I appreciate you both kind of like sharing that and really putting an emphasis in the fact that like there's no rush because it really isn't. And honestly, and maybe this is just my own experience, but after college, it kind of slows down a little bit. I think like the intensity that you experience in college doesn't reflect real life (laughs) sometimes. But with all that pressure of like, oh my God, think about your future. You know, this is like the foundation to your future. They keep pressing that. And you think like, oh my God, I got to like figure this out now. It's like, I got to grow up now, even though I'm in my young twenties, you know, or even late teens. And it's like, no, you don't. Some of us, you know, I'm in my thirties now. I'm still figuring it out. And you know what? I'm okay. <laughs> like I've come to a place in my life where it's like, life is not about figuring out. It's about living it. It's about experience. Like it's like the fact that you two are taking your time, really learning your craft, you know, that's living, that's life, that's your future. It's right now. It's today. And I just want to commend you both, you know, for what you're doing in college right now and, and the good work that you're up to and the lessons that you've learned and are sharing with us on the show. Um, I said a lot. So Nani thought I'd check in with you, see if you wanted to add anything. Yes, we welcome the fresh perspective here. Jen and I have not been in school in a long, long time. So sometimes (laughs) we forget what that life is like. And again, you guys are good reminders and like a good breath of fresh air for us here. So we really enjoy working with you guys and we hope that you guys feel the same way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So I just want to make sure I cover all my bases. Taylor or Elise, anything you wanted to add to the conversation so far? Um, I've been on academic probation. Oh, you have? 
<laughs> my mom made me feel better. She was like, don't worry. I was on academic probation too. <laughs> it's okay. So was I. I was actually on, ac- that's okay. Me being on academic probation was actually the reason why I transferred colleges because I got kicked from the my former music department because I failed oh. my jury. So juries are when uh, your final playing test mm. and like you, you're sitting there and you're playing your instrument and I failed it twice. And my second time I was on academic probation because of my grades. And so I was booted from the music department. My former advisor, she was just as surprised as I was. So it's one of those things where it's like, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because I really did not feel happy within that department. Mm -hmm. So, and I was was like, you know, redirecting you. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. (laughs) I was, yeah, (laughs) go ahead, Taylor. Oh, I was just saying that like, and then I transferred, I took the entire summer to fill out or to do the whole process of auditioning, filling out the paper, transferring to a new college. And honestly, even though it's remote, I'm at home. I know that this is a better college for me. Mm-hmm. And there's not as much pressure because the former college I went to was like is one of the best colleges in Washington for music education. But it's also like very it's it's a lot of really good players. It's a there's a lot of pressure to be the best. And I guess that's not what I was looking for. Sure, I want to be the best that I can be at my craft. But at the same time, having that constant pressure and seeing everything around me and watching everyone around me, it was yeah. too much pressure for me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right, and that's okay. Sure. Yeah. And that's okay. It's okay to be like, you know, this is a little too much. <laughs> this is like not my jam. And yeah. this is not the only way to enjoy music. It's not the mm-hmm. only way to study music. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and just like what Nani said, I always like to tell myself that rejection is redirection. And sometimes we can look back at all those failures and be like, that wasn't really a failure. Like that was just part of my journey, you know? And so I just love you both. And I love your <laughs> attitude toward life. And I think you both are going to have an incredible future ahead of you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Elise, anything else you want to add? <laughs> just, I just love like how animated you are. It's amazing. Um, okay, cool. Well, ladies, I think this pretty much wraps up our interview today. I want to thank you both for being here. And of course, Taylor and Elise are two of many interns that we have the fortune of working with. So also shout out to Millie and Mariam, who also interns with us. And then also shout out to all the other interns at the Bulosan Center. And of course, we can't thank Stacy Salinas enough. She is so humble. Actually, let's just do like a little Stacy fest right now. And oh, Stacey any, appreciation. Yeah, Stacey that. appreciation. So Taylor, we'll start with you, Taylor. What do you love the most about Stacey? She's probably going to mute this part. But let's <laughs> get it out there anyway. <laughs> no, after Stacey is so like understanding. Like I've definitely reached out to her and be like, hey, this what I'm doing for this aspect is not within my capacity. Like, and she's like, yeah, just submit your work and then let your group mates know like that you can't do this anymore. And I was like, yes, I'll get that done as soon as possible. I haven't gotten it done yet because finals have been yeah. killing me, but I will get that done as soon as possible. But she's just so understanding and I love her so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Elise, let me put you guys on. <laughs> so the reason why minored in Asian American studies and joined the Belosan Center was because of Stacy. Oh, it was my TA for my first ASA class because I was like, oh, it's a GE. It's going to be easy. Mm-hmm. But she was the TA that I had to like submit all my work to and stuff. And because of her, I wanted to, you know, learn <laughs> more about my culture. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So shout out to you, Stacey. We love you. She's like our unofficial residential historian. 
<laughs> here at the Tifa Project. Yeah, I think this pretty much wraps up our conversation today. I want to thank you both again for joining us. Do you both want to maybe do some promotionals, let people know how they can get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you? Sure. Okay, so we'll start with uh, Taylor first. Okay. You can add me on Facebook. My Facebook is just my name, Taylor Marie Mokoro. Uh, I think there's a hyphen there. Not sure. Maybe. <laughs> Most likely there's a hyphen. And then my Instagram is bassoon.bay. Bassoon spelled B-A-S-S-O-O-N because that's the instrument. That's my main instrument. I play bassoon. Mm. And for fun, I stream on Twitch. I don't know if anyone's plugged their Twitch before. My Twitch is twitch.tv slash the number two thug to number two be kawaii. So two thug to be kawaii. <laughs> Oh my God, I love that. That's a cool, <laughs> too thug to be kawaii. That's amazing. That's such a badass username. Awesome. Elise, do you want to promote? Do you want to let people to know how to get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. So my Instagram is at H-A-P-E-L-I-S-E. Happy Elise, because Elise is happy. Happy Elise. Does that make sense? I love it. Yeah. And then um, please connect with me on LinkedIn. I need more connections. You just type in Elise Israel. It's the Filipino girl with a white top. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) You both are the best. Well, thank you both again. Nani, any closing thoughts? Yes. Thank you both for being on the show and for doing all the great work that you do for us. Yeah. And to the community and the spaces that you're specializing in, whether it's the veterinarian field or the music industry. So thank you both for that. And I'm very excited to continue following your journey and, you know, seeing what beautiful work we could do together here at the Tifa Project. All right. Well, again, to our listeners, if this conversation resonated with you in any way, you know that you can either email us or send us a text message at 415-484-8329. I don't mention this often, but if usually it's in the show notes, but if you want to email us, my email is just jen, J-E-N, at tifaproject.com. And then Nani is just nani at tifaproject.com, N-A-N-I. <laughs> and again, you can find all of this information in the show notes of this episode or at our website, tfawproject.com. Thank you all so much for joining us. Happy holidays. And we will chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Bye-bye.